Amen. Thank you, Jim. Welcome back into the house of the Lord here at Northwest Baptist. Let's give him a praise of thanksgiving. It's great to see your faces. It's great to see each and every one that are here. It's great to have you online. Thank you for joining us as well. We've got about half the church here, half the church online. We're thankful uh, and grateful for that. I know that uh, some of us kids are a little restless, and that's okay, because this is a great place to hear the word of the Lord together and to worship and um, I'm just thankful and blessed to be here, blessed to see people. I've been preaching to a lens for the last nine weeks, and uh, it's amazing to see your smiling faces or your mask, either one, whatever you have on, and it's exciting to be up here this morning. I want to remind you at the beginning of each year, we kind of talk about what we feel like the Lord is leading us to here at Northwest. And, and this year, I kind of want to remind us back to what he said at the beginning of the year to us, what he wanted to do in and through his church in 2020. And that was he wanted to encourage us to understand the importance of gathering together as the body of Christ, amen? Uh, we read Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 at the, first, the second Sunday in January as God's vision for what he would have for us this year. Let me read that to you. And let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Obviously, we haven't met for the past 10 weeks in person, but I, my prayer is, is the Lord has been teaching you and molding you with a passion to encourage the body of Christ to be together in worship with one another. How important that gathering together truly is. I don't know about you, but one of the only constants in my life throughout this virus and this time has been the love that God has for me and my and and the encouragement of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that during this time you have been encouraged in your community groups or with brothers and sisters in this church or with your family members as you shared the love of Christ with one another through this time. The Lord's been teaching me when I have nothing, I have enough in Christ and in the family of God. Speaking of family, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Write this down if you are taking notes with us this morning. God's natural form of discipleship is done through the family. God's natural form of discipleship is done through the family. This is what he intended from the very beginning in the creation of man and woman in the Garden of Eden in the image of God. His first command is now be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is the command 
that was given. Have babies reflect the glory of God through those children, through their worship of this great God. Usually I have people uh, giving me hand signals where the camera is. I'm not sure where the camera is this morning, so I'm going to be all over the place. But, but we, are, we are to worship this great God and glorify Him, not only through our own life, but then reproducing children that do the same. It's interesting as we lead up to chapter 6, as that's where we are this morning, chapter 6, verse 1 of Ephesians, that as we lead up in chapter 5, he precedes the family, he precedes marriage, which is talk about sexual immorality and the effect of sexual immorality on the family and in the marriage, as it can have a devastating effect on children. So Paul then talks about this being filled with the Spirit, and one of the the equations of being filled as he describes this filling of the Spirit is submitting to one another. And we've talked about the, the, the relationship of marriage, and now he talks about the family. No doubt that the family is under attack here in today's world. The enemy does not want strong families centered upon Christ because those families would produce godly children who would strengthen his church. Parents, what if the most important thing that I told you this morning is the most important thing in your life is to produce gospel proclaimers. Not to produce smart kids or people that contribute to society or free thinkers or well-educated kids or polite kids, but people that know God and understand this gospel. Just like I told you last week, in marriage, in understanding God's design, if you understand God's design in family, it will not make sense until you have understood the gospel of Christ. The gospel is Jesus came down from heaven not for his own purposes, but to save sinners. He gave up his life so that we could have life. Now we, as the people of God, do the same for sinners like Christ has done for us. We live the gospel out in our church, in our marriages, and in our family. I want to say this before we read the passage this morning. If you have the gift of singleness, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7, and you're able to control yourself, you are useful to the kingdom of God. This passage relates to you because we need you to help raise godly children in the Lord. This is not just for parents, but as the body of Christ helps in the process of raising up a new generation that follows 
Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, and I'll read for us. If you'll stand in honor of reading God's word together, we will read this as the body of Christ. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. They may, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you. You may be seated. Father, we ask that this morning we know that uh, there's many things going on in our world. Even right here in this room, there's many distractions But Father, help us to understand your word, the importance of the word of truth. Lord, help us as parents and as children to be obedient to Christ. And Father, help us to reflect the gospel as children and also as parents. And Father, help us as families to be strengthened around Christ, the Word of God, which gives life to our souls. Help us to be people, Father, who infuse our life with the truth of the Word. Lord, thank you for our parents in this room. They're attempting to to raise their children up in the Lord that that need the help of your Spirit, Father. We We are fallen human beings, far from perfect, and yet we need your help. Father, help us. Help us as we look at God's design for the family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Tony Merida, who's a pastor in North Carolina, he tells a story of a well-known scholar coming to visit Southeastern Seminary a few years back, and one of the professors having a conversation with this um, well-known scholar, the professor's name was Dr. Chuck Quarles, and he was in awe of this man who had written all of these books and these articles and was very famous in the Christian culture and in the world. And he said, I'm extremely inspired by your productivity as a thinker and a writer. And he went on to ask this question, I'm amazed by your work. How did you manage to be so prolific in all your works? And the theological giant across the table mumbled under his breath, I sacrificed my son. He was shocked by his answer and thought he might have misunderstood him. I'm sorry, what did you say? He said, you heard me. I sacrificed my son. He added that he had been so driven to research, to write, to publish, and to make a name for himself in the academic world that he neglected his family. His son essentially grew up a stranger to his father. It's a godly man who loved the Lord, who wrote theological truths about the Bible. Now his adult son was a homeless man sleeping on the street. 
Dr. Quarles tried to console him. I'm, I'm sure that it's not your fault. Even more, the angrily scholar replied, don't try to console me. Yes, I did that. Even though people seem to be amazed by my productivity as a scholar, the fact is I would give up every one of those books and far, far more just to have my son back. The prolific writer across the table looked into the eyes of Dr. Quarles and said, just in case you want to walk in my footsteps, know that I pray to God that you won't. This conversation echoed in Dr. Quarles' mind for the next few weeks. He was haunted by it as he had to take a look at his own life as a husband and as a father. He said, I was just blowing it and led these, these thoughts and this conversation led to changes in my life, which led to different ministry roles and changes to help me raise godly children. Now we know that certainly every child brought up in the Lord will not always make superb decisions. But the Bible says that parents play an important part in the life of a child. The book of Proverbs is the teaching of a father to his son pleading with his son to listen to wisdom. Proverbs 1, chapter 1, verse 8 says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garden, garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Proverbs 22, 6 is, is the promise that God gives to his people. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Very clear that there is a heavy, heavy weight placed upon God's people in training up their children do what God has designed for you to do, which is to make disciples and multiply the kingdom of God. This is Brent, Brenda's phone, and, it, and, it's, and it's blowing up on me. I'm not sure what's going on, but we're great here. You want to take this, or... I don't know. We... We have some people on the other line probably listening into the sermon and they're, they're giving us feedback. They were excited about that point this morning. But we need to define what this term child is or children is before we continue on, before we get to the command of children to obey their parents. Paul speaks to these children in the church, right? He speaks to them in the church in Ephesus. He's speaking directly to these children. We're not talking about infants here. And earlier in verse um, 31 of chapter 5, he talks about leaving the father and mother to 
become one flesh in marriage. So these are children, are people who understand the concepts of the Word of God, and they are people who have not yet left the home. Do I need to get that back? They have not yet left the home. So in our context, these would be people who live under the roof of their parents. Normally, that happens for those under 18, those not sent off to college yet. So that would include you teenagers in the room. Obey your parents in the Lord. That includes you teenagers, just to make sure you're aware. Paul shows that this relates to the fifth commandment in verse 2, honor your father and mother. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God, and the, the ones after this commandment deal with our relationship with one another. This bridges the gap. As because when you are young, our parents act as the authority to teach us how to relate to the ultimate authority, which is God. So we are to learn how to obey for one purpose, so that we can obey God. The Bible is very clear at what happens to those who rebel against God in sin. For the wages of sin is death. In the garden, the result of disobedience of Adam and Eve was death would come to the human race. Every person will die. God certainly takes obedience seriously and it is no different with the relationship with children to their parents because obedience to their earthly father and mother is most likely how they will relate to their heavenly father. In the Old Testament, capital punishment was given to rebellious children. Deuteronomy 21.18 says this, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline, will not listen to them, then his father and mother should take hold of him, bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of this city, this is our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones." So you shall purge the evil from your midst. All Israel shall hear and fear. Uh, it, it should strike us. It should strike fear into our hearts as we see how important God takes obedience for his children. Now, now I'm speaking to not only the children, but also the parents. How important is it to obey what God has commanded? A few things in this passage. I, I don't want to just leave you there. The father and the mother are taking their child to the elders. The, the assumption is these are godly parents who discipline their children, who love their children. Who would, who would do that? Who, who would take their son 
to be killed, right? Even if they were a drunkard. No, this is a long-term pattern of rebelliousness without repentance to bring about the importance of obedience. Now, we, obviously, we don't do that today. By the grace of God, there go I. But it does show us the importance of obedience. This obedience to parents is not done because they said so. Because in obeying them, you are actually obeying God. In this obedience, there is an implication, parents, that you are teaching something. And what are you teaching them? You are teaching them the gospel of God's grace and salvation in which precedes obedience. So first of all, parents, are you training your children how to love God by showing them how much God loves us? Are you loving them like Christ? Are you serving them like Christ? Are you investing in your kids so that they understand the love of Christ through you? Because if you are, then obedience is the natural reaction or the response to the gospel. So when parents are infusing the gospel into their children and they're not only sharing it with them with their mouth, but also with their actions, the response from the child is obedience. Because that is the response of spirit-filled individuals. You show them the gospel. They begin to desire to obey. How does a child not want to please their parent who has been involved in their life, who's patched their knee, played their game, entered into their world? But all too common, we ask why our child is rebellious and we have not shown him or her the unconditional love of Christ to foster a heart of obedience. This is right. This is how God has designed the parent to teach their children the ways of God, and the children are to obey the parent because they know the ways of God. This is God's design. This is how our Heavenly Father relates to us. He lavishes His love and His grace upon us in fellowship with us, and we respond in obedience. This is right and pleasing to God and provides order within the home, especially during the coronavirus. No, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. You can laugh. It's okay. It's, loosen up. It's okay. You haven't been with me in a while. I guess you haven't been really laughing at my jokes online. I don't know if you have been or not. That's the real, real thing, yes. This is a monumental task, I'm, I'm well aware. I have two beautiful children who are on the floor right now coloring. And I am well aware that this is not easy. The responsibility of a parent is great. And this is why Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. You cannot parent 
apart from the filling of the Spirit. Children, we cannot obey apart from the filling of the Spirit inside of us, empowering us to fulfill God's design and reflect His glory in our family, teenagers. When you look at the qualifications for a pastor and deacon, it jumps out you sharply. 1 Timothy 3, 4 says this, he must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? This is a monumental task. Verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the commandment. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I, I heard Dina is back. I'm glad. I'm glad to that. So just, just a heads up. Obedience brings joy and life. Amen? I didn't hear her that time. <laughs> This is our second point. Obedience brings joy and it brings life. There is a promise here with this commandment. The, the, Paul says, obey your parents, and then he refers back to the commandments of honor your father and mother. The, the wording here is, is slightly different. Obey versus honor. When we're married... We are to leave our father and mother and the two become one flesh. Often it is a much younger age. At this time when Paul's writing this, it was a much younger age when two would become married. But when we leave the house, something happens. Guess what? We're going to... We're going to honor some of our seniors who are leaving the home. They may be going off to college. They may be going into the workplace. They may be getting their own place. And when you do that, something happens. You choose your own way. Your parents are not no longer telling you what time to come home, to do your homework, to make your bed, to go to practice. No, you're out of their home. Now, the life that you live either honors your parents or it doesn't because you are old enough to understand your obedience is to God. The question is asked all the time, when do I stop obeying my parents? At some point, the shift happens from obeying your parents to obeying God through honoring your parents. One honors their parents by being who God has designed for them to be, even if it means going against their parents' wishes, if it's for God's design. The best way to honor your parents is to obey God. Because that means that you are fulfilling the, re- the reason and the establishment of parenting to begin with. At some point, parents, we have to invest everything we have into our children. We take the training wheels off and the obedience that we have taught them from their birth to a certain point transfers to the obedience to the Lord. 
The only way that this happens naturally is when we have been taught to obey. Titus 2, 11 through 15 gives us this thought process of the response of the gospel in order and power to live in obedience. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Not only does the gospel bring salvation, but it instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Not only does the gospel, the power to save, it is the power to live The promise here is obedience brings long life and it goes well with you. You are blessed through obedience. Obedience brings joy. Rebellion brings about consequences. It's as simple as that. It provides a framework for right and wrong. Proverbs tells us a disobedient child is grief to his mother, a rebel to his father, and a sorrow to his father, a disaster to his father, a disgrace to his parents, a humiliation to his parents, an abuser of his parents. Yet obedient children bring honor to their parents. You say, Rob, this parenting thing isn't easy. But think about this. This is exactly why Jesus died. Because our children are sinners in need of a Savior. Needing the power of the Holy Spirit to live as God has intended for them to live. Just as marriage is a laboratory to live out the gospel, family is a laboratory where children learn to obey God by obeying their parents. And parents get to learn how to disciple and to specifically teach to obey everything that Christ has commanded, which is found in the Great Commission when we are making disciples. Jesus grows in four ways when he's on this earth. Luke 2, 52, Jesus, and this gives us a pattern for what parents are actually supposed to do with their children. Jesus increased in wisdom. He increased his mind, his cognitive abilities. He grew in wisdom in stature, his physical stature. Parents, we are, we are to feed our children physically in favor with God, spiritual growth, and man, the social aspect of your child's growth. Parents, your job is to foster growth in these four areas. This is your life, not to make money, not to win at life, but to pass on a legacy that multiplies and fills the earth, reflecting the glory of God. This is God's design for the family. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
The goal of parenting is discipleship. That's our third point this morning. The goal of parenting is discipleship. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The warning here before he talks about disciplining your child is not provoking them to anger. He addresses specifically here the father as God has placed that responsibility on him as the head with the help of the mother for the discipline and instruction of the children. Father, fathers, the call here is to be engaged in the life of your children. Oftentimes in our culture today, we shirk those responsibilities off to teachers to our wives, to our Sunday school teachers, coaches, and yet the responsibility Paul describes here is the father. Now, single mothers, we have them in our church, and you have a special place in my heart I cannot imagine the tireless work you put in every day just to raise your children. My encouragement to you is keep engaged in the family of God. We want to come alongside you and help you. There's no greater joy to me And others in this church, whether you're a single dad or you're a single mom, of men and women to help disciple young men and young women in the family of God, in God's church. Paul makes it very clear here that discipline should be done in love. It should be done as a means of sharing the gospel or an instruction of the Lord. So he says here, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what does that look like? I, I kind of give an example here. It's a rough outline. You can take it the way you need to and make it your own, but an example. I love you, little Johnny. And because I love you, I have to discipline you. This is for a little child. To help you understand and know that we shouldn't do that again. God has established right and wrong, and we have to understand that. And then you insert your form of discipline, whatever is appropriate. Remember, the, the, the goal is not for your child to become angry, but show them the gospel. Time out, spanking, whatever, whatever you have in your, in your toolbox of discipline. But then after you discipline him. But you know what? We all mess up, little Johnny. And that's why Jesus came, because he took our punishment for sin and he died on the cross for us. So we place our faith in him and he gives us the spirit. Now we're able to obey God. We have a desire to obey God. Guess what? You will mess up again. 
Do you want to follow God? Do you want to obey your parents? You see how the gospel is included into that discipline for a child? And some of you parents are like, that would never work for my teenager. That would never work. So I've got, I've got an example for you. You can take it or leave it. Teenager, you're grounded for a week. What you're doing is against God's design for your life. You're not only sinning against me and your mother, but against the Lord. Now, what happens next depends on their response, obviously. But let's say there's remorse and repentance in the conversation. Then you can come back. And you can say, your mother and I have offered to extend you grace, even though you don't deserve, you don't deserve it. You deserve a week of grounding. And yet, we've decided to ground you for three days. And just as we've extended grace, God has extended grace to us in Christ. I hope that you receive that grace that God has extended to you and you begin to live it out as you were designed to do in your life. I give you these pictures so that you can see it. The gospel displayed in discipline naturally by God's design and opening the Bible and seeing it played out. What happens to people who live in disobedient life? They have punishment. They rebel against God, and guess what? Their life goes to destruction. The one that understands the grace of God repents and moves towards God is blessed. They find joy and blessing and they have life. The word bring them up here is literally to nourish them. It has the same context of husbands nourishing their wife as Christ nourishes the church. Preach the word to them. Fill their minds with the word of God in every area of their life. This is life on life discipleship as every aspect of your life is to teach them about the gospel and the sovereign God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is your life. Your life is to be poured out not only for love for Christ to remind yourself of that love, but then to pour it into your children. When you wake, when you sleep, when you walk, every single aspect of your life, to pour out this love of Christ that is, he has given to us, now you give it to your child. You say, Rob, that's a little intense, isn't it? I mean, really? Guess what? The world is forcing their agenda down your kid's throat day and night. Entertainment, movies, TV, social media, YouTube, and their friends are teaching them and instructing them, just probably not in the Lord. So you better be continually giving it to your children 
and having opportunities for them to hear your heart and your love for God. Proverbs 29.15 says this, when it comes to discipline, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 15.5, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Now, when Paul writes to this in Ephesians, he writes to the church. Remember what I said, if you don't understand the gospel, you're probably not going to understand God's design for the family. In the same way, it's very difficult to understand obedience if your father is not loving you. And when we talk about these hard things, there tends to be an uneasiness because we all have felt the brokenness of this world in the context of the family. Maybe you had parents that did not instruct you in the way of the Lord where your parents were really not a part of your life. Maybe you're a parent sitting in the pew feeling a bit guilty not investing your life into your children. Or maybe you're a current parent sitting in the pew right now and you're going, it's madness in my home, I can't control it. Maybe you're a child or a teenager and you're saying, my parents don't show me the gospel. They aren't loving me. They just don't get me. And this is where the gospel comes into play. And Christ comes into your family. And he says, look to me on the cross. I know you're broken. I know you're plagued. I know it's not perfect. I know that there's the design for God is not evident in your family. Yet that's why I died on the cross. To redeem that which is broken. To save sinners like you children, you parents, me, imperfect parents, imperfect child. And he says, you cannot do it your own way. You must repent and turn to Christ who gives us the ability to live out God's design. And then he says, parents, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Children, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Children, turn to the one who died for your sins. The one who perfectly obeyed because you could not perfectly obey. 
parents turn to the one who perfectly loves and perfectly disciplines and perfectly instructs in wisdom because we are not perfect. You see, when we see God's design, it is good and right and just. We see the brokenness of our world and our need for Christ. Our need for to be connected to Christ in such an intimate way that the Spirit is exuding from our life, that we are sharing the gospel with the people that we love, not hurting the people we love. Jesus says this in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is true as fathers, as mothers, as children. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Let us look to the one who redeems and restores us because he is worthy.